Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome, everybody, to another Work Human Radio. My name is Mike Wood, and I have a very special guest today. It's one of our Work Human 2020 speakers, Brittany Harris. Hi, Brittany. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, Mike and the Work Human friends. <laughs> so we're very excited <laughs> to see you at next year's event. Can you just give people like a quick overview of like who you are, what you do, and, and then we can kind of like give a sneak preview of, of what you're going to be talking about? Sure. So. Again, my name is Brittany J. Harris, emphasis on the J, <laughs> <laughs> and I am Vice President of Learning and Innovation with the Winters Group. And so the Winters Group is a global diversity, inclusion, and equity consulting firm. And so in short, we support individuals, organizational leaders in their strides towards just making equity and inclusion real. So that looks like education and learning. And so that's kind of my wheelhouse. We do tend to use education and learning over training, right? And that our approach to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion education is one that is developmental. It is intended to be ongoing. We approach it as a skill set and one that requires, you know, work. And so work around understanding ourselves and others, work around what it means to, you know, actually create or the factors required to create an inclusive culture where people can be authentic. So the education and learning is a big part of our work. We also support organizations in cultural audits. And so actually supporting around identifying metrics and measures. And so how are individuals experiencing the workplace, usually working with human resource practitioners analyzing hiring data and such to really understand how different people may be experiencing the organization differently, right? Perhaps based on who they are in their backgrounds. So education, cultural audits, and then we also support organizations in strategy development, right? And so many organizations perhaps have been on their inclusion and equity journey for, you know, some time now, years now. Others are just getting started. And so a big part of this work is meeting people and organizations where they are. And so we support leaders and sometimes diversity councils or committees sort of operationalizing diversity and inclusion. And so making sure that we're identifying how equity and inclusion intersects with marketing, intersects with community outreach, and how it intersects with even customer relations or other areas of the business so that it isn't siloed into, you know, human capital HR functions. And so that strategy piece is also about, you know, identifying common language, supporting leaders and understanding what diversity, inclusion, equity means for their organization and their industry and how they can then make it sort of programmatically real, operationalize it a bit within the organization. And so, yeah, for me, a certainly more than a profession. I like to think that in as much that this is a job and how I pay the bills, this is also an extension of purpose work and 
passion work and that we see ourselves as change agents, recognizing that while changing the world is the goal, we do so incrementally with people who work on teams, teams that are part of organizations, organizations that play a big part in how you know, the world is as it is. So that's our work with the Winters Group. That's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of sort of what I do. A little bit about who I am. Um, I often share in sessions those aspects of my identity that really influence, you know, my experience and how I see the world. One being a Black mom, Black woman and a Black mom. I have a three-year-old, beautiful Black son named Braxton. And so I even say, you know, motherhood over the last three years has even shaped, evolved, reshaped how I even perceive this work, even the, you know, sort of urgency in this work. I consider myself an advocate and an ongoing learner. So my friends will tease me off, oh, you're an overthinker. And I wear that as a badge of honor, Mike, because that's like, how I work, but then also, you know, how you grow and how I learn and all that that stuff. So, no, that's great because I have a three year old as well. I have a three year old <laughs> daughter, and interesting times. Yeah, yeah, she's almost <laughs> four. She was hitting me this morning. I, it's a very <laughs> volatile relationship, but I do see that you know there are some tough subjects that I'm going to have to introduce to her at some <laughs> time, and. What I love is that she goes to daycare and her classroom is really diverse and it's great. Mm -hmm. And it's funny when you see kids that are younger, they don't point out differences. They're just another kid. And I think that is just really interesting from, you know, as a dad standpoint that, okay, where is she going to get to the part in her life where someone's telling her that someone's different and it's not different in a good way or something. So Mm -hmm. I love the work that you're doing and, and you got to work with uh, purpose and passion too. Cause we found in a lot of our research that you got to have a passion at work. Otherwise you're just sitting in a chair and you're going to leave. <laughs> you know, that's the really good point. It's something I often think about. So in sessions, you know, folks love to get to sort of acting. Okay. We get the concepts. How do we get to acting? And so sometimes, and by action, I mean like taking what we learn and like applying it to, you know, our world, whether it's the workplace or home, And so sometimes we'll conceptualize how or sort of where we can act as our sphere of influence, right? And so what's our sphere of influence? How can we really take what we've learned about ourselves, others, diversity, equity, inclusion, and apply it to our worlds? And I often go to sort of, and this is why why being a mom is such a big part of, even though it's not the work, it is the work, Mm -hmm. I'll often go to and encourage folks to think about, you know, how can we bring these concepts and what we learn, you know, to our homes? And so it is fascinating in that, right? Like some of the tough stuff that we have to deal with. And so bias and stereotypes and, you know, exclusion, like those are things that are are tough. And obviously the things that are going on in our world, a lot of times, you know, kids, they don't kind of like, come out the wound thinking about these things, knowing these things. There is research that shows that, you know, whereas a child may not necessarily like call it race or like call it gender, they're able to like pick up on, right, 
differences. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes ever the more important. So I think about this as a parent for us, for, for us as individuals on our own journeys to be able to provide, you know, that context and that understanding sort of fostering that understanding. And so I love what you said where children aren't necessarily learning or innately thinking differences are bad, right? There's a message that they receive, whether it's in the media, whether it's in sort of like what they're exposed to. There is an awesome TED Talk out there, The Danger of a Single Story by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And she talks about how she came in to realize differences in her experiences and other experiences by the books she read. I cannot remember the country in Africa where she was, but many of the books did not have people that looked like her. And so she started to just sort of internalize norms and messages around sort of what a good life was and who good life or good people were based on, based on the books she was reading. Fast forward though, I just think about that in the context of, you know, obviously raising a son. I think about how it's important for us to sort of initiate a more critical consumption or maybe even dialogue among our children to just make sense of the stuff they're going to experience anyway. So maybe that looks like for me, Braxton's a boy. He's now starting to realize that he's picking up on like girl, like gender. Mm-hmm. And I called him the other day, say like, girls don't get that. Girls don't do that. And I said, Braxton, girls can do that, right? Like girls. And so it was interesting because I've never heard him. I don't know if it was like jumping or I had never experienced or heard him. Well, I don't even know that I've ever differentiated like a boy can only do that or a girl can do that. Mm-hmm. But at three, he's like made sense of, you know, based on what I've seen or heard, you know, I'm different from this person and I can do this and perhaps they can. And so I think even me in that moment, I thought to myself, I got to say something. Now, I didn't unpack like gender norms and I didn't unpack like, (laughs) just to say, you know what, Braxton, girls can do that and that's okay. Yeah. So I could get on my soapbox, Mike. I'm going to stop there. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because that's big. So before I worked at Work Human, I worked for PBS and I was a publicist on children's shows. So I'm a big fan of the public media and the shows that are out there. And now that I have have a child that is seeing mm-hmm. Curious George play with Marco, who's Hispanic, and seeing Daniel Tiger, and he's friends with mm-hmm. a cat, he's friends with an elephant or something. <laughs> like he's got all sorts of different friends. And so all that variety and diversity mm-hmm. is already there. And so I'm hoping that, because I've told other people, I grew up in like the whitest area of Massachusetts and (laughs) I had no diversity in my life. The only diversity that I saw was on like MTV with like rappers and stuff. And so that clouds Mm -hmm. your judgment. And you think that every black person that you meet is going to be wearing chains and having Mm -hmm. parties with champagne and all these girls dancing around. So (laughs) that's just not what reality is. And so like, I'm glad that she already has a diverse area to start out with. And I'm hoping that she keeps this diversity as she goes through school and stuff. Cause, and it's no fault on anybody in the area I grew up. It just wasn't diverse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. One of the things we offer in our work. So we talk a lot about 
how we develop. So I talked skill set and sort of really framing this work around capacity building. And so we call that skill set cultural competence. And so the extent to which we are able to effectively engage across differences. And just by nature of, you know, just, you know, by human nature, that doesn't come easy, right? Because we tend to be more comfortable with sort of likeness and sameness, sort of what is most familiar. And so we ascribe to, you know, if we want to build cultural competence, it sort of takes very intentional effort. And so we offer these four E's as a way to conceptualize what that looks like. And the first one is exposure. And so I even think about kind of like what you were sharing. We can only become effective across differences and understand them if we're exposed to them. And so exposure is merely contact, you know, increased contact with difference. I'm in a room with people who are different from me, you know, that's exposure. That's not enough though. And so that second D we call experience, right? And so that's when we actually start to engage in transformative experiences that really shift our perspectives and create opportunity for us to build authentic connections. And so experiences may look like attending an event that is serving an aspect of identity or a community that I'm not part of. Maybe it looks like I'm attending or taking my son to a religious community or a church or a mosque that may not necessarily be one that we would go to sort of normally. You know, even in the workplace, like choosing to build trust with someone and have lunch with someone who I typically wouldn't. And so exposure and experience are so critical to how we begin to foster and develop cultural competence, certainly as adults, as leaders, but then even doing the same, you know, for our children and being intentional about it. The third E, education. And so much like conferences, you know, that Work Human puts on, the, the education and workshop seminars that we engage in the workplace, The education is what gives us sort of greater context, right? And so reading books about concepts, principles, theories, cultural groups that perhaps are new, you're new to one, right? The premise of the 4E model, and I know I've only gone over three, is that we'll never get to a point of being able to empathize, which is the fourth E, really foster empathy if we're not exposing ourselves to difference, if we're not creating experiences, transformative experiences across difference for ourselves, and if we're not being intentional about education, right? And so empathy, as you well know, is a very big skill set. And even in the context of, you know, authenticity, which is what I'll be talking about at the conference, empathy is one of those skills and actually being able to take the perspective, you know, of another and understand an experience that is not my own it's a buzzword. It's something that we want leaders to be able to model and practice. But again, that takes, you know, cultural competence, right? That takes understanding differences, being able to engage across differences, exposing oneself to difference. That's a big chunk of the work, right? That is a big chunk of work because it takes time. Mm-hmm. It takes time. It takes having to go sort of above and beyond one's norm and all of that. So I even think about what that means yeah, in the workplace. You know, what do the four E's look like in action in the workplace? What do the four E's look like in the context of our homes, mm-hmm. on our teams? I think that's just a model to, to, to keep top of mind when we talk about, okay, how can I be sort of more inclusive? How can I make 
equity real and I respect the world. Yeah. And I would encourage everybody, and it's not an easy thing to do, even if you're an extrovert, is to get out of your comfort zone. Go talk mm. to people. Go if you're nervous about a particular group of people, whatever, just go talk to them. Just go talk. And you'll see that there's not that much <laughs> difference though. I think a lot of discrimination stuff is just this fear of others and difference. That's so good. The fear part. So Mary Frances, she is the founder and president CEO of the Winters Group. And she's been talking a lot more. She actually has another book coming out. She wrote a book a few years ago, and we can't talk about that at work, how to talk about race, religion, politics at the workplace. And at the heart of sort of how, sort of why a lot of these conversations can happen, won't happen, is obviously one, just sort of lack of sort of cross-cultural misunderstanding, trust, and fear. Sort mm-hmm. of like fear. I don't know what to say. I don't know how it's going to be interpreted. I don't know what I don't know. One of the things that we offer in sessions is, you know, assuming positive intent, right? Mm -hmm. Especially Mm -hmm. when we're creating a space for learning, right? Assuming that everyone is not going to know as much as I know about any given subject because we have very different experiences. Likewise, in as much as it is important for us to leverage relationships and ask questions and like you said, go up to people who are different. It's also important that we engage in sort of our own work. And so I share with people all the time, I'm not a big reader, like sort of books. That's just not my style of learning. But I love podcasts and I love videos and I love YouTubes and I love blogs. Sort of like, it's a little bit more digestible. I'll do audio books because that's something I can do, you know, while I'm also trying to multitask. But those are ways, right? Yep. As you mentioned, like, even if you're not an extrovert, to just engage in your own learning, right? Yeah. Yeah, I end so, up, yeah. I'm a huge fan, and there are people that think that Wikipedia is not, you know, the best resource, <laughs> but I go down the rabbit hole with Wikipedia all the time, and I'll read about, like, random things, and it will lead me to another thing, and I just read, 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 but it's all short form, and I love mm-hmm. it. I love my true crime podcasts i love my dateline podcasts and stuff you don't have to be reading like a long book to enjoy a particular subject you can break it down into, into little pieces yeah. and stuff. so we're at the end of our interview where can people kind of find the work that you do and if they want to learn more mm-hmm. so one of those in the spirit of education every week the winters group does release the inclusion solution blog and so that is a medium that we use to really unpack like very difficult conversations, concepts, authenticity, biases. We're doing a segment now on unpacking the conversations that matter, where we're talking about things like tone policing and very complex topics like deficit mindsets and the ways in which it shows up in the workplace. We're unpacking things like religion, right? How to talk about religious diversity in the workplace. And so we use the inclusion solution as a medium to have those conversations. It's like one of my passion projects. I'll actually be writing for the Work Human blog, which I'm super excited about, which is another venue for just staying abreast of topics and different perspectives on topics. I'm on Twitter, 
at Brittany Janae on Twitter. And that's also on the Work Human site. And then obviously you can keep in touch with us on the Winters Group dot com where we also have links to like our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> all, the above. Like, all the other mediums. We're even on uh, I just found that we're on Pinterest for the folks who like quotable. So <laughs> the Winters group <laughs> and definitely on LinkedIn as well, Brittany J. Harris. I'm pretty sure all that'll be linked somewhere on this landing site as well. Yes. Well thank you for joining us today. Um, if you want to hear Brittany come to Work Human 2020, it's in May. It's in San Antonio. Yes. You have a good time with your th- three-nager, Braxton. Good luck <laughs> getting through that the day. So, that is so appropriate, three-nager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have another one coming in the next couple of weeks and another girl, and it's just going to be chaos at my house. <laughs> so Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, it's crazy times. But thank you for joining us. And we'll look forward to seeing you in the blog and seeing you at Work Human. All righty. Thank you, Mike. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human Live in 2020, May 11th through the 14th in San Antonio. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2020. 